Amen and amen. Thank you, team. Love you. Appreciate you so much. Glad to have a couple of guests with us. Paul Kroger, Jr. in here, and this is our friend Dennis Peacock in the back. So glad these guys are with us today. So we've been in this series called Grounded. We've been talking about the Bible. What does the Bible mean to you? Does it have, what sort of significance do you give the Bible in your life? The first week we talked about the fact that if we read the Bible and we live by the Bible, we're obedient to it, then our lives won't be wishy-washy. We won't be tossed to and, and fro, right, as the word says. But we'll have stability in who we are and who our families are and how we live, how we think. Second week, we talked about the fact that it is a trustworthy document. That's definitely being questioned right now in our culture. Is this even something we can trust or maybe we should just pick and choose this or that? But we know that this is an infallible, inerrant word. This is a trustworthy word and a document to live by. It is, uh, we talked about on the third week or the fourth week that this is not only trustworthy, it's an eternal word. That God is an eternal God. And you are an eternal people. We will live forever. The question is where, <laughs> right? If we know Christ, then we will go to be with him in heaven and, and we will live for eternity. And this word miraculously is an eternal word that's been given to us now so that we can be eternal beings learning what eternity is going to be like. But when the rubber meets the road, the question I think this morning is, what does it mean for our lives as husbands and wives, as moms and dads, as people who have jobs, people who struggle with sin issues, people who have different things going on, what does the Bible mean to us? What, what difference does it make? How do we treat this word in just an everyday sort of a, a life? You know, I, uh, we have this little phrase on our, on our graphic that says, living life anchored to God's word. That's kind of the title of the message today. I just went ahead and stole it from the graphic. What does it mean to live our lives anchored to God's word? I just had this feeling, if, if your life, if your family, if your home is a little, a little boat, it's like, what have you dropped your anchor on to hold you steady? I, I say this all the time, I love the History Channel. I love the idea of uh, treasure hunting. I don't know why, it's just so interesting to me. And I love the thought of all these you know, boats and pirate ships and things and when they go treasure hunting in, in different places where they think there's possible treasure, one of the things they look for first is the anchor. If they can find the anchor, then they can tell how old the shipwreck is and if there maybe is any treasure in the shipwreck. And I just, I love that thought of these. And there's all these different anchors, sizes, and shapes that talk about different times of, of when boats were made and stuff. It's just interesting to me. But the question is, in your life, have you dropped anchor to something that will hold you steady? Is there something that connects to your heart, it connects to your life, and it keeps you steady, right? It'll hold you still. It'll give some sort of uh, stability in your life. There's five things I want to talk about this morning, five different uh, aspects about God's Word that I think are relevant to us as believers. And the first one is this, God's Word is alive and it challenges us, and if we'll allow it by God's grace, it'll change us. But look what it says uh, in Hebrews 4, verse 12. It says, for the word of God is living and active, 
sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints, of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I love that verse. But you know what's amazing to me is I don't even know my own intentions of my heart. You know what I mean? Some days I feel like I'm a pretty good guy, and other days I know I'm not. There's things that go on in my intentions of my heart that are good and bad, and yet the, the Word of God can come alongside our lives and be able to divide those things, help us to know who we are in Christ and where we need to, to surrender more to Him. Soren Kierkegaard is a 19th century theologian. He said, you know, when you read God's Word, you must constantly be saying to yourself, it is talking to me and about me. When we got started, we talked about a quote from Alistair Begg that says, a lot of times you come to a book and you want to understand that book. But with the Bible, when you come to the Bible, you come to it and it understands you. This Bible, this word of God is active. It is relevant. It is living. Have you ever read it at some point and you went, I've read this 20 times and I've never seen that. You, you've, you've studied something, all of a sudden something comes alive and you're like, I had no idea, but I've, I know this. That's the power of God's holy word. When it is a part of our everyday lives, when it is a part of who we are, when, when we live by it, when it is a big deal to us, God will use it to direct our lives. He'll use it to challenge our, our, our thoughts and our ideas and our motives. And sometimes it cuts us. Has the word of God ever cut you before? Think about Shrek, you cut me, cut me deep, Shrek. Listen, the Bible will cut you. It'll cut you. Paul says in Ephesians 6 that it is the sword of the Spirit, and it will in fact cut you. I want to show you an example of when some people got cut by the Word of God. This is Peter preaching at Pentecost. Of course, this is a, a, a time where tons of Jews come into the holy city, and Peter now empowered by the, the, the Holy Spirit that has fallen on these 120 believers in the upper room, now stands emboldened, ready to preach the word of God. And he begins to tell them, you keep wanting Messiah to come. You keep hoping Messiah will show up. He already has. His name was Jesus, and you know who I'm talking about. And you crucified the Messiah. You killed him. This is what he says as he's giving that message, Acts 2, verse 26. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, speaking of Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? These men realized in the conviction of the Holy Spirit that what Peter was saying was true, that Jesus had fulfilled all those prophecies, but they didn't recognize him as Messiah, and as Peter's preaching this about Jesus, they, they begin to see the truth, and they're cut to the heart, Scripture says, by this sword of the Spirit. P Peter shares in his, in his message the word. He's not just giving the idea of Messiah, he's doing it through Scripture. He's doing it through prophecy as he shares testimony and, and word from the Old Testament, the Psalms and different places. He's sharing that Jesus has fulfilled uh, these prophecies as Messiah and they have crucified him. 
and so they're undone. Brothers, what shall we do? It's a good thing when, when God's word cuts your heart. And can I just encourage you, when you feel that the Holy Spirit has used God's word to cut your heart, to, to penetrate your soul, let your response be as these men. Lord, what shall I do? Don't, don't just push it aside. Don't just close off your heart to what God is speaking to you. Open your heart, be attentive, be aware, and say, Lord, what must I do? Let me be obedient to whatever it is you call me to. Have you ever experienced that, the Bible doing that to you? I mean, it just skewers your soul. And as you're reading it, it's exactly what you needed to hear. It's exactly what you needed to move you forward or encourage you or comfort you or challenge you or motivate you. That's the power of the active, living, relevant word of God. I'll never forget in uh, high school, I, uh, of course, I grew up in church. I grew up uh, doing the flannel graphs. I grew up learning all the stories. But I distinctly remember this moment in my, in my life as a believer around high school, around early parts of college and end of high school, where God just opened my mind and I realized these aren't just kind of clever stories. These are stories of real men and women. These things really happened. Jesus was a real person who lived a sinless life and died a sinner's death. And my mind just began to get open to the, oh my goodness, this isn't just a good story. He's real, he's living today. And I did what I often do. I wrote a song about it called Real Life. This is real. This is real life. This is Jesus helping me understand that his word is active and alive and true. Here's the second thing I want you to see this morning. We can't know Jesus apart from knowing God's word. Have you ever had anybody say to you, well, listen, hey, I, I, I love my Jesus. So they always make it a personal thing, right? I love my Jesus, but I don't need to go to church to love Jesus. You ever heard that? I love my Jesus, but I don't need to, to live a, a life around people. I, I'm going to worship out on the boat or out in the hunting woods. or out the, I, This is where I'm going to, you know, these are the things I'm going to do. But I, I, I got my Jesus. And it, it has, it's removed. Like there's this relationship removed from the Word of God, even knowing the Word of God. Friends, the Bible, listen, the Bible is a meta narrative all about Jesus. <laughs> from Genesis to Revelation, the whole thing is about Jesus. And if you're going to know Jesus more, you have to know the Word of God. There's no other way to know Him more, to understand Him more. We have to know His Word. Last week we talked about it being an eternal uh, Word of God. And how Peter said Jesus sees the different disciples leaving after a hard lesson. And He, he says to the 12, says, are you going to leave too? And Peter goes, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus is the only one with the words of eternal life. Jesus is the only way for salvation. He's it. A lot of times people say things like, you know, God spoke to me the other day. And, or her, and listen, God does speak to our hearts. I believe that. But not more than he speaks in his word. And if anybody ever says, hey, God told me something and I need to tell you, always, always, always filter it with the word of God. If it lines up with what God's word says, you can go, well, praise God. 
His word already said that, and that confirms, uh, you know, whatever. You don't need somebody's opinion to confirm God's word. But it allows you to go, okay, I, I got it. But sometimes people just will say every other 10 minutes, hey, God's speaking, God's saying. And you're like, okay, maybe, right? Listen, if you want to hear God's voice, and who wouldn't? Who doesn't? It's in his word. Guess how you won't hear his voice? If you don't get in his word. It's that simple. Hear his voice, we have to have our Bibles open. We gotta live in such a way that we're reading his word. I love the story of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Jesus uh, had been crucified and there's these disciples, like I said, there was this 120 disciples uh, at Pentecost. So there's a, a church of about 100 people that are they're hanging together and they're walking through this difficult time together. Jesus has been crucified and they're all moping around, right? Our Savior has been crucified. Most of them, if not all of them, not thinking about the fact that Jesus told them several times, I'm going to tear down this temple. In three days, I'm going to rebuild it. I'll be back. Like everybody forgot it, right? And they're moping around and Jesus shows up next to these two disciples walking down the road. Cleopas, I think, is one. And there's another one that we don't get his name. Poor guy. One chance to get his name in the Bible. It doesn't happen. But his buddy did. And Jesus shows up next to these two guys. And he's like, hey, what's going on? And they go, are you the only visitor to, to, to Jerusalem to not know what's been happening? That Jesus, the, this one who was a prophet and he was mighty in deeds and he did all these things, we thought he was the one to redeem Israel. We knew that he was the one, but kind of like we, I don't, he, he was crucified. And Jesus, Jesus is like asking these really, oh, interesting, he's asking these questions, but he's not allowing them to see that he's Jesus. They haven't recognized him as Jesus, so he's sort of a stranger to them. And he can ask these questions until he gets frustrated with them, right? And he's like, oh, guys. Okay, listen. Do you not know the Bible, basically? Have you not read that these things had to happen, that the, the Messiah had to come and had to be crucified and would be raised again? Do you, do you not read the word? Do you not know the word? And they recognize that he's Jesus. It's this incredible moment. Look at with me, if you will, at the part of that story. Luke 24 Verse 31 through 33 says, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. <laughs> and as soon as they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight, and they said to each other, did, our hearts, did, our, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Then look what happens. Jesus disappears from them in their sight, appears in Jerusalem to the other, to the, the main uh, disciples at the time. Verse 44, we drop down in, in chapter 24. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Basically, Jesus has just laid out the entire canon of the Old Testament. Everything. The way they had it, the way you have it in your Bible right now. It's, 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 he just laid it out for them. Everything in the law of Moses, everything in the prophets, everything in the Psalms, everything, if that's included minor prophets, major prophets, everything's in there. And it says in verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
This is what I want you to see that I think is so interesting. Jesus is crucified. There's some amazing things that happen after Jesus dies on the cross. His body's placed in a tomb, but Jesus is at work in another realm. He's preaching. He's doing things incredible. Jesus could have told stories. Guys, you'll never believe what I did after I was crucified. What happened? Right? You, he could have told stories. He could have shared what he did, but he didn't. What did he do? He opened the scriptures to these guys. He said, I want to teach you about me, and this is how I'm going to teach you. I'm going to open what you already have. And he opens the scriptures and, so, and shows them from the Old Testament. This is me. This is a prophecy of me. This is a prophecy that I would do this. This is where I was going to come and do this. Every single thing in the entire Old Testament, Jesus lays out for those disciples. And the first two disciples said to each other after he had disappeared, didn't our hearts burn? In other words, didn't we recognize his presence when he was teaching us from the word? Didn't we know in our hearts, God, something's, something's amazing going on here. We're, we knew it was him, but he hadn't revealed it yet. But he was showing us who he was in scripture. Then he shows up to the, the, the twelve. Again, he could have told stories. He could have shared ideas. But what does he do to teach them about himself? Again, he opens the scriptures. He shares with them the scriptures. My prayer for us at, at South City, number one, that he would open our minds as he did those disciples, that we would understand these scriptures. But that our hearts would burn in the presence of God, that we would know he's with us, that we would know he's teaching us, that we would know we're growing and learning and who he wants us to be. But the only way we're gonna know more about Jesus is in the Bible. That's the only way. That is his word. A lot of people uh, are overwhelmed at these moments of revelation. You know, a moment of revelation, just even by definition, is when something is revealed to you. I remember there was a season in my life and I was just praying. I wanted to understand something so bad. God, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Help me understand. And a pastor told me, well, God will reveal it to you at some point. And I'd heard the word revealed. I knew what the word revealed meant, but I hadn't been revealed that answer yet. There's these moments of revelation where God reveals his truth to us. But guess what? If you're not in the word of God... How will he reveal his truth to you? It is in his word when it's open, when you're reading it, when it's a part of your life that he can reveal things to you, that he can show you himself, that he can speak to us. And I'm preaching it myself here. How can we not be, how can we not be consumed with this word? that the holy God of the universe wants to speak to us. And he said, this is how I'm gonna do it, here you go. And we got 10 of them collecting dust in the closet, right? Lord, give us a heart that burns with your presence and a desire to read your word that you would reveal yourself to us in it. So Jesus, I think another reason Jesus opens the scriptures for the disciples is he's creating a pattern here, right? If Jesus opens the scriptures to tell people about himself, what should we maybe do? Maybe we should open the scriptures to teach people about Jesus. How about? 
It just makes sense, right? Yeah, and I think that was Jesus' intent. Look at what I'm going to teach you, what I'm going to show you, everything he was teaching these guys over and over. So he's teaching them to do that. God wants his word to equip us so that we might know him, to know his word, to know all things that he's given us in his word. One, so we can know. Two, that we can make disciples. Our, our, our mission statement back there says, Lord, we want to be authentic disciples. It means we want to truly know authentically who you are. We want to learn. We want to grow so we can love you. And we want to make disciples. That's what Jesus is doing here. Uh, I love, uh, this is the third thing, by the way, I want to say to you this morning. is God word, God's word equips us so that we can equip others. There's a, a scripture here in uh, Deuteronomy that I want to take you to. Deuteronomy 11. This is after uh, Moses has broken the Ten Commandments, and now he's received the new Ten Commandments that God had to re-chisel out, right? And, uh, and so he's got these commandments, and, and Moses is speaking, God's speaking through Moses about how we should value the Word of God. And this is so interesting. Think about this as families, would you, as we read this? Think about your family. Think about how your family values God's Word. Is this true of your home? Is this true of us? Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 23, Moses says, God says through Moses here, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, uh, talking of them when you're sitting in your house. And when you're walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on, on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. For, for if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways, holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you and you, and, he, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Now, did I hear somewhere in there something about make sure you take this word with you when you go to church once or twice a month? <laughs> right? No, it's, uh, it's hyperbolic. It is all-inclusive. It ought to be, it ought to just inundate your life. The word of God ought to be, ought to surround you in every part of who you are. And not just that we read it religiously, but that we love God. That we enjoy him, that we, we talk about him everywhere we go. He says we should, it should be internal, right? We should digest it, we should memorize it, we should meditate on it. Those are inter internal things. It should be external. We should write it on our hands, in our homes, on our doorposts, on our gates. Everywhere we can. The Word of God ought to be talked about when we're walking, when we're about to go to bed, when we're about to wake up. In every aspect of your life is the Word of God represented. Is it that valuable to you that we should obey it, that we should love the Lord, that we should walk in His ways, that we should hold fast to Him? And then He makes these promises. He says, if we love this way, if we live this way, the days of our lives will be longer and not just that, but the lives of our children, that he would go before the people of Israel, that he would bless them, he would protect them. I believe we can see those things in our own lives as a promise of God. 
when we love and we take the word of God seriously, when we live this way with the word of God, when it's that important to us. Paul tells Timothy that the word of God can train us. That the word of God is really all we need to become who we need to be as those authentic disciples. That's really what we need in our lives. Uh, he also talks about the fact that Paul was raised by some godly parents. Look here with me. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. Paul says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. That was him. He's saying, you learned it from me. You've been doing it. Stay with it. You know you learned it from me, so keep going, right? Keep going. But look what also he says in 15. And how from childhood, some of your translations say infancy, from infancy or from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So in these two scriptures, the one from Moses, the one from Paul, Moses is, is saying the word of God needs to be so important to you that you surround your life with it. Train up your children with it. Now I know about you, I've asked this question as a, as a parent. It's hard to disciple our kids. How do we disciple our kids? Can we just go to Lifeway and grab a book? That'd be easy. But it's not that easy. But you know, I think we make it more difficult than it ought to be. This word in Deuteronomy has laid out this, uh, this family discipleship plan, hasn't it? It includes raising up our children in the, in the word of the value of the word, along with all these other places and things that we value the word. Let me, let me make my point. If, if you love something, I mean you're crazy about it, dads especially, moms too. But if you're crazy about something, guess what your kids are going to be crazy about? Do you love hunting? I saw a thing on Facebook the other day. This little toddler, I bet it wasn't two years old. And the t it's the cutest video. The kid's crying and he's like, we didn't get the deer. The deer ran. And I was like, what is going on? This is a two-year-old. Why is he so passionate about the deer and missing the deer? Because his father is. How does it that we bring our children home in Razorback jerseys as, as three-day-olds, right? We're indoctrinating them into a religion. Go hogs. Go whatever your team is. And at two or three, all of a sudden our kids are right next to us. Come on, go. We want them to win. We want our things. Because if you love it, they will love it. But on the other side of this is if you don't love the word of God, guess what? They won't love it. If it's not a part of your life, if, it's, if your life is not inundated with God's word from when you wake up and when you go to bed and when you walk around, if you don't put it up around your home, if you don't speak about the word of God, guess what your kids won't care about? The word of God. If it is valuable to you, if it is precious to you, 
If it's real in your real life as a believer in Jesus, it'll be real in the lives of our children. That's exactly what Moses is trying to say. We raise our kids up with all the faith that surrounds us. As we love the Lord, let our children see real tears, real passion, real life lived for Christ and by his grace. I pray they'll come along. Doesn't mean we don't be in, we're not intentional. Doesn't mean we don't have conversations. It doesn't mean we don't question and challenge and, and go to life word and get the Bible study, right? Let's do all of it. But if we don't love it, why do we think our kids would? If it's not a priority to us, why would it be a priority to them? Paul says, listen, this has been a priority for your family since you were a baby. You've been raised on, on these scriptures and they will train you. They, they will create in you all that you need to know for ministry. You were raised on it and continue to believe what you've, you've been taught. You know, one of the big things about being a believer in Jesus that we need to not only teach our children and know ourselves is how do we defend our faith? How do we, how do we fight the enemy in temptation? Because I promise you, as soon as you come to know Christ, the enemy will be right there tempting you going, really? Did he really say that? Is that really true? Is it so bad if you do that thing? Come on. We need to know how to defend ourselves against the enemy. As believers in Jesus, here's some things we need to do. We need to add some things to our lives. We need to add prayer to our lives as a believer in Jesus. We need to add uh, reading scripture, valuing the word of God. We need to also subtract some things. We need to subtract some sin. Subtract some worldly thinking. Subtract, subtract some selfish motives. But when the enemy comes to tempt you and, and fight, what do you have to fight with? I suggest that sword of the spirit that's what Jesus used. Here's the fourth thing I want you to see, that God's word is our defense against the enemy. Matthew 4, we also see it in Luke chapter 4, Jesus sent into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit so that he would be tempted. So Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist. The father's just said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the Bible says, and then the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. So Jesus goes into the wilderness He's fasting for 40 days. That's not easy, friends. Fasting for 40 days. There's not like a whole myriad of juice bars that, no, this is water maybe by a stream, and that's it. And it's somewhere in the middle of that fast the enemy comes up to Jesus. And he goes, you've got to be starving. I mean, you've got to be so hungry. Just turn one of these rocks, one of these stones, just turn them into bread. Right? He's, he's messing with the idea that Jesus doesn't have what he needs. He does it to you too. You, you need more. You, you really do need that. Go ahead and go into debt. Well, you, you, there's, there's some things that we have to have. What does Jesus say? He has no commentary to the enemy. He doesn't say, Satan, I've told you this before. He says nothing apart from the word of God. In Matthew 4, he says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I got everything I need in God's word. God knows my needs. And everything I need 
is in his word. He'll give me what I need. Then Satan all of a sudden takes Jesus to the highest point of the temple. And I've been to the temple mount, and it's, there's some places that it's pretty high. It'd be pretty scary up there. And Satan and Jesus are at the temple mount, and, and Satan says to Jesus, hey, why don't you just throw yourself off of here? And, and you know, the angels, will, they'll take care of you, right? It's, that's what the Bible says. If we're going to talk about the Bible, the Bible says your foot won't even hit a stone. Go for it. What Satan was doing was twisting Psalm 91. And it's something he continues to do in your life every day. He tries to twist scripture to make it seem like it's something we should follow, right? If we don't follow it in context, if we don't truly understand that scripture, we can get us in a world of trouble. But Jesus basically said back to him this scripture, and when he says, don't, uh, we shouldn't put the Lord to the test from Deuteronomy 6. We shouldn't put the Lord to the test. Psalm 91 is about how God cares for us. It's, he's a caring God. He, he takes care of our needs. In other words, Jesus is saying, we shouldn't put the Lord to the test. That, ver- that scripture you're talking about, I trust him. But I don't have, because I trust him, I don't have to test him. I don't have to test him. And then Satan takes him to high mountain. And Satan and Jesus are in this high mountain. He says, you know what? Look at all the kingdoms of the world. Look at, look at all that you could have. If you'll just bow down before me and worship me, I'll give you all this. That one just blows my mind. It just blows my mind. Because you know what Satan was doing? Satan was kind of hoping Jesus had forgotten who he was. He does it in your life. He does it in my life. He hopes that you've forgotten who you are. Jesus already had all those kingdoms. Those were already Jesus. He didn't need to bow down. And of course, again, no commentary, no dialogue. Jesus says from Deuteronomy 6 again, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He didn't even have to give words to what he knew. He was confident in who he was. He knew he was Messiah. He knew he was the Son of God. He knew he was God. And so he put Satan in his place. I want you to see that if Jesus uses the word of God exclusively for defense, maybe we should. Maybe we should. What is the thing in your life that you're struggling with? What sin? What temptation? What, what thing are you struggling with to believe? Friends, can I tell you something? Listen very carefully. Please, I want you to hear this. Find scriptures in the word of God that support God's heart for you, God's desire for you to not sin. I remember in college, I was struggling with my my mind and sexual sin and thoughts that didn't honor God and lust. So I went through the New Testament and I found scriptures that would say, think on things above. I found scriptures that said, don't don't, uh, do things against God's will. Don't be sexually immoral. I, I memorized multiple verses so that I could have this in my heart, so that I could have a weapon against the enemy, a sword of the Spirit. So when my mind went to those places, I could go, Lord, I want to think on things above, things that are pure, noble, righteous. God, give me your heart and your mind. If you want to battle this enemy as a believer in Jesus, and you should, you need to know his word. That is our defense. I just want to say this as a side note too. There's something significant about the fact that Jesus was led into the wilderness. See, Adam and Eve had been led into the garden, right? And when they were tempted, 
They could have used the word of God. Some of you say, well, it hadn't been written yet. No, he had spoken. He said, don't eat of that tree. And they could have said, no. God said, don't eat of that tree, and they didn't. Satan said, did he really, did he really say that? So when Jesus goes into the wilderness, he doesn't make the same mistake Adam makes. And the Bible talks about Jesus as the second Adam succeeding, right? He talks about Jesus being the one who, who did it, who, who lived a life that was honoring to God, sinless. If you want to have a defense against the enemy in your life, whether it be about what you need or about the enemy trying to twist scripture in your life or even about your identity in Christ or whatever it is you, you deal with, memorize, place some scripture, some of God's word in your life. Make it, inundate your life with it so that you have a defense. Here's the fifth thing I want to say to you this morning. And it's okay, by the way, if your bathroom looks like a crazy post-it commercial. All right? It's okay if you get in the car and there's six post-it notes with scripture. Somebody gets thinking, what's this about? Don't worry about it. It's my car. Right? Write it out. We didn't have a problem writing answers on our hands when we were in grade school. Right? Write the answer on your hand now so that it gives you life so that you can go to it. No, Satan, let me show you something here, pal. That, that, you know? Put it in our lives. Put it on our hearts and put it everywhere we can uh, be. Here's the fifth thing. The word of God, it has everything we need. Every single thing you need. I, I love this psalm. I want to read the psalm and I want you to hear how beautiful it is. And then I'm going to come back and explain some of it. Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11. The psalm says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Such a beautiful psalm. I want, I want to break it down. I want you to see that there are six parallel expressions for the Bible. So there's six different expressions of what the Bible is. And then there are six descriptors of that expression. And then there are six phrases that follow. Let me show you what, what I'm talking about. The law, right? That's a descriptor of the Bible. The law of the Lord is perfect. That means it's whole, it's complete, it's sufficient. It has everything you need. Reviving the soul, the phrase that follows it, it revives the soul. You know what that means? It means it changes us. It transforms our lives if we let it. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It transforms us. The testimony, another expression of the Bible, of the Lord is sure. It's a firm foundation to place our lives and anchor our hope in. It makes wise the simple found myself asking the Lord for more and more wisdom lately. God, give me wisdom. And James tells us if we need wisdom, ask for it. He gives it without reproach. Makes wise the simple, and that is me, friends. Verse 8, the precepts, another expression, of the Lord are right. That means you can trust it. 
rejoicing the heart. It brings joy to your life. Have you ever done something where you knew you did the right thing? You made the right decision and your heart just got full of joy. You didn't cheat on the test. You didn't write the answers on your hand. You, you didn't, whatever the case may be, you didn't go to that website. You didn't think that thought. You didn't follow something through that you wouldn't have honored God. And in your heart and your soul you go, God brings joy in our lives through his word. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It means it's holy, it's sacred, it's sincere. And it says, enlightening the eyes. I love that. It gives us light. It lifts our countenance and it helps us to see our true condition. Lord, enlighten our eyes. Enlighten every one of our eyes in here so that when we see our lives, we can see really where we are, really who we are. Do we love you? Do we value this word or do we not? We're faking it. Who are we? God, give us those eyes. Enlighten our eyes with your pure truth. The fear of the Lord is clean. The fear of the Lord. Fear is another expression of the Bible, of God's law. You know, fear can bring repentance. When, you, when you're afraid of something, oh, please, you, 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 it's easy to go to your knees. Oh, please, I, I don't want to face that reality. Fear can bring forgiveness and repentance. It says, the fear of the Lord is clean. And guess what repentance brings? Cleanliness. God cleanses our hearts. He forgives us of our sins. 1 John 1, 9. He purifies us from all unrighteousness. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Guess what your life in Christ will be? It'll be eternal. It'll be forever. Fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. It'll last forever in Jesus. The rules of the Lord, another expression of the word, are true. In other words, they're wisely made. They're righteous. It's truth. And righteous altogether. In other words, all of them, every single one of them are true. And then the, the statement to follow, more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, which was even more valuable, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. See, God wants the word of God to meet every need that you have. So you go, well, well, if I'm hungry, how can God's... Jesus said, hey, trust me, if Jesus can say it in 40 days of fasting, right? If he can use that verse, we, we live by every word from the mouth of God. When we trust the Lord, he will never let the righteous be forsaken. He meets our needs. God wants to direct our lives, protect our lives, bless every aspect of our lives. He wants to do it through his word. 2 Peter 1, verse 3. says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us, look at this, his precious and very great promises. What's he talking about? What are the precious and very great promises of the Lord? It's his word, right? It's the word of God. And he says, his divine power has granted to us all things, everything that pertains to life. Whatever you need to live, God's word will give it to you. Well, even whatever you need to live as a godly person, the spiritual nature of your life, the natural nature of your life, the spiritual nature, God gives you everything you need. 
in his precious and very great promises. That's what his word teaches us. It's all we ever need to know. So what do you need this morning? What do you need in life? What do you need in your spiritual life? What is your need? Because the Bible says that everything is the hair. Maybe you, you say, yeah, I'm struggling with something, but I've looked and I, I still can't seem to find it. Guess what? Maybe that's where God's family comes into play. And because we can walk together, you can go, hey, I'm struggling. Can you help me see where this God's word applies to this? Sure. Of course. We can do it together. We can, we can search this out. We can find it. We can pray that God will open our minds to the scriptures. And I believe that he will. Are you struggling with something in your life? Do you need to value scripture in such a way that you plaster your home, you plaster your mind and your heart with the things that are gonna encourage you to know and love and obey God? God's word is your greatest defense. Do you need to grow in your discipleship? I know I do. And it's gonna happen through the word of God. It's gonna happen through learning, valuing, growing in the word of God because the Bible tells us again, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's all profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Complete. So proud of Pastor Elvis, right? He's gone extra, he's gone above and beyond to, to learn. But the Bible makes us complete. It makes us complete. It's all we need in our training, in our desire to know him more. I want to close this morning with where we began. Is God's word a major part of your life? When you think about that Deuteronomy passage and you think about your home and your thoughts and what you speak about and what grabs your attention and what your team is and what your interests are, where, where does the Bible and the value of the Bible place in your life? I mean, is it even, is it in the top 20? Is it in the top 10? Is it top five? Is it, where, where is it? Because we need to make it something that we throw our anchor down and say, this is where I'm gonna live my life. This is who I'm gonna be. And as we give ourselves to this word, it understands us, it reads us, it's active, it's alive, and we submit our lives to it. And God challenges us, and as I said before, if we, if we allow it, God will change us through it by his grace. You ready to change? I said to a friend the other day, where are we gonna be? Are we gonna be here talking about these same things in five years? We've been talking about them for two, are we gonna, we're going to be here five years from now, the same struggle, the same issue. Where, where's growth going to happen? At what point do we anchor and we grow and we, we find ways to move forward in this issue? Friends, my prayer is that you'll anchor your life in the eternal, never-changing Word of God. And as you do, He will give you abundant life. He'll give you great joy. He'll protect your life. He'll bless your life. The Bible says in Luke eleven twenty eight, based on the translation, whichever one, it says either blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Some, some translations say happy. Happy are those who hear the word of God 
and keep it. I pray that we would be a happy people, that we would be a blessed people, not for temporal reasons, but because we value God's word. We choose to drop the anchor of where we want our lives to live, to stay, to be stable in the word of God, that it means so much to us that we surround our lives with it. We're gonna finish this series next week as we talk about Jesus as the word of God, the word made flesh. It's my prayer that uh, God would anchor us and ground us in his word. Pray with me this morning. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the support, the training, the foundation, the truth that is offered to us in this amazing, miraculous document. It's not just a book. It's not just a document. It's literally an eternal work. 40 writers, 1,500 years, three continents, three languages. It is a miracle. And you have spoken through these writers. You have written it through them. And it has endured the test of time like no other document because it's like no other document. God, what is it going to take for some of us to drop the anchor? What's it going to take for some of us to stop looking to television and culture to help us make our minds up about what is true? God, you're the one that has eternal words of life. We, we can't go anywhere else. It is in you, Jesus. So, Father, today I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in us. If there's one person here that doesn't know you as their Savior, someone watching online that doesn't know you, Lord, would you allow this word to penetrate their hearts? Would you help them, God, to trust you, to surrender to you? Say, Lord, I want to anchor my life in you, Jesus. Where else would I go? There is no other option. God, may we be a people surrendered to you that our worldview, what we believe matters most above all things, above how we feel, above what the world may tell us, even what we understand, God, may we hold high the value and the sacredness of your precious word. There's nothing like it. God, I pray that you would move in this place now by your grace, by your power, in Jesus' precious name, amen.